0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And we got a QA today.
1: We are back at it, and we have a lot, you know, we have a lot of questions with people asking two questions today. So it'll be multiple questions broken up into different oh, okay. kinds of parts.
0: People are taking advantage of it. Yeah. Which uh, you guys can all do by clicking the link in the description of the podcast. I think it says Ask Boom Boom or something, but there is a link there, and it will go to a form now, and that one is going to give you access to a form. You don't got to put your email or anything, just your name, your question. That way, we can get it, and we can answer it on the show. Um, But, man, I actually I'm feeling pretty fucking uh, What's the word? (sighs) Kind of like proud, but I don't want to say proud, because it's not proud, but like just after the podcast with Alan today, Alan Aragon, only because I literally, he said 2008, and I know that was incorrect, because I was (laughs) still in high school (laughs) in 2008. I thought that was, yeah, no, I I believe it was, like, 2011 is when I, like, because right when I graduated high school in 2010, I started getting this stuff, and it was the first seminar I went to, that I traveled to, and it was in Long Beach, California, Um, and uh, I saw him speak there, but just thinking about it, because I saw him speak there, and now he's been on the podcast. Um, I've seen other people speak there that have been on the podcast. Mike Robinson was a huge influence in the strength coaching world for me coming up as a young strength coach. And he reached out to me to ask me to be on his podcast, not knowing that Mm -hmm. I knew who he was until he started doing research on me and then realized like, oh, I remember you because he was friends with Luca back in the day. Um, But it's just, it's just kind of surreal. You know what I mean? And like, I just shared like the thing about me speaking in January. I just got asked to speak in Austin in April. Next year, uh which I'm stoked for because I've never been to Austin. But um it's just crazy to think about, like, especially talking to Alan, like where it's come. You know what I mean? And to be like, damn, we're like starting to do some crazy shit. Yeah.
1: Oh, the the business. Yeah. Yeah, the
0: business, and talk to just. I mean, having certain people on the podcast that once upon a time I would have been like,
1: man, if I could it's have cool a to convers- talk to them. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. If I could have a conversation with him, that would yeah. be nuts. And now it's like, it's crazy for sure. Colleagues, I, I don't want to take a huge detour here, but what. Was
1: it Tim Hagen? Tim Vagan. Tim Vagan. Oh, so that's there's a somebody we knew.
0: I think he thought I said vegan. Yeah, definitely did. Because he made a carnivore that's, joke. Yeah, and, and I, I didn't get it at t- first me either. And I'm then not- I thought about it later and I was like, oh, he thought I said vegan. Yeah, no, his last name's Vagan. Yeah, um, that was it. Okay. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, that would have been way more funny if I got what you meant, yep. but I didn't. Because I knew he was talking
1: about your your college professor yeah but i was like and i was like what is his last name that a carnivore diet. yeah <laughs> like was,
0: no, it makes no sense yeah
1: glad we didn't like think about it too hard because
0: no, but that was good that was a good podcast yeah it was a good podcast really good podcast he's like one of the founders of, of really like nutrition coaching so you guys will enjoy that one um and if you haven't listened to the podcast that i did for mike robertson um we'll link that in the show notes too but his uh, i want to say his podcast is the physical preparation what's his podcast? name rob robertson robertson Mike Robertson very just classic American name Mike yeah, Robertson for sure <laughs> um all right let's type one thing that I, in.
1: I did enjoy learning or uh, hearing about and learning about I guess is uh how intense those message boards and forums were
0: dude it was nuts yeah dude I would spend hours just yeah. reading people's responses because I didn't know enough to like feel like I could be a part of the conversation yeah So I would just read people's – they'd be like fucking heated debates. And the funny thing is once social media happened, there was people who got on social media who already had beef from the, like, forum world. Yeah. It was like literal, like, coach battles. Like, it was just kind of ridiculous. But, I mean, back then, too, there wasn't enough research on fitness and nutrition to where a lot of what people believed was hypothetical. It yeah. was like research shows this. So I'm going to think all these different things. This is my ideology. And this is like what I swear by. It's my like religion of nutrition and other people would be on the other spectrum. And until more and more research came out, nobody could really say you were wrong. It was just two smart people debating, you know, and now there's enough research where it's less of that. Cause it's just like, here's the facts. Like we know there's thousands of studies at this point, but shit went down in the forums, man.
1: Yeah. I it like mind the audience, what, these forums are bodybuilding.com and yeah, bodybuilding.com
0: was the biggest one for like nutrition and if it's macro stuff like that. T nation had a really, uh, a good forum too. Um, and then there was a lot of just random websites. I think Lyle McDonald's site had a, uh, body recomposition. I think it is. I think they had a forum. It was a bunch of random stuff. Basically yeah. you, you, if it was a blog that you kept up to date with, you would leave comments in the forum yeah. section and you would just it's a, it's a uh, I
1: don't know the terminal. I was going to say it's like a mo- Not a modern day, but what's the opposite of modern?
0: Uh, like old,
1: old school Reddit. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I I mean, it was basically right. right. (laughs) Yeah, it was basically Reddit. I mean, Reddit's just a bunch of forums. Yeah, and Reddit still pops off. There's a lot of people (laughs) who still go on Reddit. Huge people find us on Reddit. I didn't know that. I've never even been on Reddit. Bro, I'll argue. I'll debate.
1: Reddit's bigger than like social media. Oh, it's Uh, crazy. It's insane. I hate. I don't even know about it, but.
0: I've had people, people literally say they found about out about us from discussions on Reddit. And I was like, how? What is Reddit? Because people <laughs> just start talking about it. Somebody That's will ask sad. a question. Has anybody worked with Taylor Coaching Method? And then somebody else comes in and like, <laughs> dude, it's like you can type in like a Taylor Coaching Method pricing. And all of a sudden there's like Reddit forums and Sick. shit. It's crazy. That's like, dope. Yeah. yeah. But that goes back to the whole point of like, man, this shit's getting big. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. It's just like, we got a lot of people bugging we got people me. people talking about <laughs> <this> on Reddit. <laughs> I know. On places I didn't know about. Yeah. Got a lot of people... Uh, poking in about the internship, which is dope to, to get people like really bugging about it and asking questions and wanting to get involved. So, um, I've been sharing that and we're going to be choosing somebody soon because we need some coaches and, um, I'm very picky. So, and that's just because we only work with the best we only bring the best on. So, um, for those of you who applied, thank you. I will be um, I'm just going to be completely blunt. I'm not going to be in touch with everybody. Like people are asking, like, when do we hear back? I'm realistically probably only going to reach out to the people who got it. And I'm going to do that before the end of the month. So if it hits new year and you haven't been reached out to, um, it just wasn't the right fit. Uh, we're very, at very specific time. at the time. Exactly. Apply again next time. But there's over 150 applicants in there. It's impossible for me to give every single person a response and let them know.
1: Dude, I feel like, and I know you repeat this on your story all the time about, about like bugging and poking the bear and stuff like like don't just poke the bear when the application becomes advertised. Mm-hmm. Like DMs, like mm-hmm. asking questions. Like you're like holy shit. If this person ever applied, I'm going straight to them because yeah. these are, cons- you know.
0: Yeah, and when it's a familiar name too, you're going down Bingo. the list. You, kind of you what you I mean. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, and obviously there's, you know, there's certain scenarios too, where like somebody might look better on paper, college degree, so on and so forth. But if I've had a million conversations with somebody and I know they're just a fucking good person and they would make a great coach, even if they have half the credentials, I might choose them because they were popping in my DM, asking me questions, stuff like that. So, um, huge, but yeah, cool. All right. Uh, shall we? Yeah, let's get into some questions. All right. We
1: got the first one coming today. From Brian Matney, I'm finishing up a cut and want to do a lean gaining phase for the first time ever while actually tracking my macros. What would your recommended approach be with my calorie surplus, training, supplementation, etc.? cetera?
0: Great question. Uh, Pretty broad. So we'll just kind of give like a, a broad spectrum of like what I would generally recommend. First and foremost, it, it, I think it kind of depends on how the cut went and where it, it finished so for example if somebody went through an extremely aggressive cut or was in a cut for an extremely long time um or their body is just hyper-responsive to certain changes in the diet, so on and so forth. My point being, once you get done with the cut and then you're going to go into a lean gaining phase, you got to reverse diet first. So I think that, first and foremost, instead of just getting done with the cut and going, all right, where's my surplus? Let's jump right to it. Mm. You should reverse diet to find your maintenance, because your maintenance now is going to be different than it was before. So if your calorie maintenance was once 2,500, but then you lost 40 pounds in a cut, um, did he say how much he lost or no? He did for some reason i thought he said 40 pounds uh he might have in the full question Mm. that we shortened but um point being is if you lot you know if you lose 40 pounds during a cut your maintenance isn't going to be 2500 anymore unless you significantly increase your your energy expenditure through activity during that time which even then you're going to have adaptive thermogenesis during that process so still won't be the same um So from where you finish your first step before lean gaining is actually just doing a reverse diet approach. And my recommendation is to reverse diet pretty slowly so you can stay lean because if you're trying to lean gain, obviously being lean is important to you. But while doing that reverse diet, it's actually increasing your training volume alongside that. Because when we go into a lean gaining phase for training, we're going to want a higher volume approach most likely. Um, With that being said, the best way to reverse diet is to increase with that so you're using the calories you're taking in. So if I'm increasing calories, it means I'm bringing more carbohydrates and energy in. I might as well utilize those by training with more volume because I have now the energy to do it. And that gives us a better idea of where our volume or our maintenance calories actually are going to be uh, with the type of training we're going to get into. Because if you keep your training the way it is and you reverse diet and then you increase volume – you might actually be burning more calories through that added volume, and now you've got to reverse diet again to get your maintenance because you'll be disappointed that you're not making gains and wondering why. Well, it's because you you jumped the gun on the diet and not the training. So first step after finishing a diet, increase your training volume, and alongside that reverse diet, your calories up slowly. That's usually going to be like 5 to 10 percent of calories increased via carbs usually per week per one to three weeks it kind of depends on how your body adapts um you guys can refer to the reverse diet faq podcast we did for that just a few weeks ago it's i answered that and 20 other questions on reverse dieting but uh increase your your calories until you find a maintenance once you find your maintenance it's where your your body, like essentially in this situation, because you want to lean gain, really, you're making those small nudges up until you start gaining at a slow rate, which actually makes the reverse diet process easier because usually you're bumping up slowly and you're waiting until you find maintenance, which means at some point you're probably going to start gaining and then you're like, oh shit, now I got to pull back because I went too far. Mm-hmm. Because the only f- way to find out where you, you would just chill at maintenance at usually is by overshooting it to find out that you overshot it. Or you
1: need to go back down.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So... Once you reach that point where you overshoot it a little bit, just make sure you're only overshooting it by 5% because my advice in a lean gaining phase is really to go at a 5% surplus, 10 max, but usually a 5% calorie surplus for most people is totally fine. If you're brand new to lifting and you're just primed to just grow like a weed, maybe you're a 21 year old Male who has no stress and just started lifting weights, yeah, you can go into a twenty five percent surplus. You'll just fucking get huge.
1: That was going to be my question. What would determine going up from five to six to seven to eight nine nine percent experience level? Oh, yeah. Um,
0: and not even just age. Like I talked to somebody on the phone today that they've been training for years, but they've always done like circuit classes and stuff. They just started training with weights and they gained weight, but it's good weight. They don't look like they gained a bunch of weight because they put on lean muscle. So, um, uh, but for most people, I'm going to say a 5% calorie surplus via carbohydrates, like the best approach in a lean gaining situation, in my opinion, is going to be high protein, uh, which is going to be at least one gram per pound, but at, or less than 1.2, you can go to 1.2 grams per pound. If you just enjoy eating protein. Like I really enjoy, like if I eat a steak, ideally for my body size, like muscle protein synthesis, like I want about 30, 35 grams of protein. It's like a five ounce steak. Maybe I'm just disappointed with that. Mm. I need an eight ounce steak. Like that's just what I enjoy (laughs) and it is what it is. So even on a lean gaining phase, I'm probably going to overshoot protein, but not because there's any advantage there. Like I'm going to build more muscle from that just because I like meat. So I'm going to eat bigger pieces of meat, but. Carbs are going to be what we want that 5% surplus from, and then your fats are probably going to be 0.3 to 0.4 grams per pound, which is pretty damn low for those listening, but you're in a surplus, so you don't have to worry about hormonal issues, because usually if we go too low in fat, we have hormonal issues, which aren't going to happen, you're not in a deficit, it's totally different when you're in a surplus, Um, so high protein, damn high carb, low fat, um, no cardio, besides walking. So just neat. So go on a daily walk. I think that's just going to be good for your joints, stress levels recovery, and just making sure you're staying lean. But you're not doing like active conditioning and cardio save that as a tool for when you lose fat um if you want to keep a good aerobic engine just for energy systems purposes and like performance having one day of, of conditioning is fine but ideally you're lifting five to six days a week on like a push pull leg split or an upper lower push pull legs or a specialty split kind of like bulletproof bodybuilding where it's upper lower upper arms and then the second block is upper lower upper lower back so we we rotate the specialty but it's always five days because then we can get more volume in there um And that's generally, you know, what I see. I see, you know, and and we had Chris Barakat on and we talked about how he thinks intensity and effort is way more important. Um, And I agree with everything he said. I think it just, it depends on the context of the individual. I have had amazing results with a lot of people by increasing volume. Um, And part of that is because it's a skill to be able to push yourself that fucking hard. I mean, Chris has been lifting for probably 15 years. He's a, uh, I believe he won his pro card. So he's now a natural pro bodybuilder um
1: on the episode he was in the process yeah i think
0: but i think he did because i saw his post. postbook i'm pretty sure he won uh, his pro card but um nonetheless i would classify his experience level and knowledge as a pro he's a researcher he's a he's a professor at a college on this stuff um but to be able to push your body to that maximal intensity is fucking hard it's a skill and honestly I can't even really do it unless I have somebody spotting me or yelling at me or with me right there. It's very difficult to do by yourself. You have to have a lot of motivation to be able to do that and awareness of your body. So for a lot of people, I would much rather go the high volume route. And I, and I see the high volume route making more sense in a lot of research because of this too, because people can't reach that threshold of intensity very easily. So what's the best way to get the same result without having to do that intensity More volume. Yeah. But if you go that level of intensity, you have to do less volume or you'll burn out, which is why he does higher intensity. He doesn't train five, six days a week. He trains like four days a week. So I think it's all, all context specific. But most of the time for a lean gaining phase, five to six days a week of lifting, um, doing a general balance approach for 75% of it. And then 25% of your volume is very like isolate to whatever muscle groups you want to build most. Like if I'm doing a program that is mostly catered to me, it's going to be really well balanced. And then I'm going to have more volume on my upper back and my arms. Not for any other reason besides I want massive traps and massive arms. And that's what my goals are. So for women, if your goal is hams and hamstrings and glutes or abs or whatever, you just put more volume and isolation there. Uh, a 5% surplus via carbohydrates, higher protein, and a low-fat diet. No real conditioning unless you need to for performance reasons. Otherwise, just having neat. And then uh, for supplementation, creatine monohydrate, I would definitely be getting fish oil in there at least – I would say at least 1.5 grams of uh, EPA. So that's usually like four fish oils for most products. Like Legion product is about yeah. four fish oils. Um, but you can push that up. There's a lot of research showing two grams is really helpful. I take six of the fish oils a day because there's a lot of research showing the six grams, or I'm sorry, two grams of EPA, which is six of those pills from Legion. is uh, And for some companies, like eight pills. So theirs is actually dose pretty high, which is helpful because <laughs> I don't think eight of them. But uh that's actually been shown for uh, anxiety, stress, mood, depression. Um, I don't have serious anxiety right now. I don't have depression or anything. But if I can make my brain healthier, yeah. I'm going to do it. But then there's also the joint inflammatory processes that it helps. Um other than that, like he mentioned EAAs in his, in his question as well, like what I recommend those. I think they're, they're, you know, this is murky. There's not much research on it. There's one good study that shows a combination of highly branched cyclic dextrin in essential amino acids during your training might be helpful uh, for improving muscle mass, uh, cross-sectional areas. So they actually saw growth in quad is what they were measuring. Um, but they also, you know, there's research to show that that kind of stuff does help lower cortisol levels. And if it's lower in cortisol, maybe you recover better. You're more in anabolic state. Again, this is very hypothetical. There's not enough for me to say like, yep, for sure. Um, And there's also research around like caffeine, sodium, and fructose combined with carbohydrates increasing your carbohydrate absorption. So if we want to throw in some salt around the workout, that would probably be a good idea. Caffeine around the workout, that would be a great idea. Um, If you need, if you have the room in your calories, you don't mind having some essential amino acids and carbohydrates during the workout. I personally feel better when I do and that could be placebo but if I feel better and I perform better that's all I give a shit about and there's not enough research for me to figure out if it's 100% true or not but it's worth it in my opinion if you feel better doing it and you have room in your calories um otherwise there's no real supplements I mean multivitamin shit like that but yeah. um creatine fish oil those are the big ones caffeine before you work out that's it and spend a lot of time yeah. <laughs> you, this is not a three-month thing like at least six months doing this, man, if not eight to 12 of like really trying to put on size. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to get very far.
1: Duche. Cool. Good answer. All right. We got one from Anonymous. It says, I am a working mom and I love it. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to maximize my functional training. I want to be able to lift kids, garden, etc. with no issues. I'm currently lifting three days a week and have a good handle on nutrition and macros. How do I insert my- mobility training or conditioning moves or workouts into my schedule or add them to existing workouts versus adding a day to those exercises
0: mobility is one of those ones where you unless you have a very specific joint restriction you don't have to spend a ton of time on it like there's people who do 30 minute mobility routines before they work out you're just exhausted by the time you get to the fucking workout because you've been doing mobility for 30 minutes so I don't recommend that generally, Um, but what I would say is this. I would say that, you know, if you can set up a routine that you spend 10 minutes doing mobility per day, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night when you're watching Netflix, whatever it may be, that's probably going to be your best bet. Um, I did this for a while just because I had like a, a, you know, as part of like the Tarot Life Challenge, I did it every night when we're watching Netflix. I had my lacrosse ball, I had the massage gun, and then I would do mobility. So it's like mobility, foam rolling, stuff like that for 10 minutes while we're watching most likely Seinfeld. And, uh, that was easy. You know, it wasn't adding to my schedule cause it was something I could do during your schedule. My schedule. <laughs> uh, probably couldn't do that now. Cause I don't think Bubba would let me lay on the floor and do that. But that's probably what I would recommend if you're busy is doing the mobility separate. Now, if you want to add conditioning in, you have two options. It's you're going to the gym more days per week, or if you're doing conditioning outside, cause you live somewhere nice outside Or you're spending more time in the gym. So no matter what, you kind of have to sacrifice something you're doing in your schedule or else you can't do it, you know? Um, It's, you can't get more of something unless you give more of something. It's just part of it. So what you have to do is if you're spending an hour in the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're going to have to increase that to an hour and 20 to 30 minutes, or you're going to have to spend maybe 30 minutes on the days in between doing conditioning. And that's really all you can do. I mean, what I would recommend is doing low intensity and moderate intensity cardio with that, not high intensity you doing three days of a week of lifting is already an anaerobic stimulus from an energy systems perspective. It's already high intensity, quote unquote. Um, so your stress response is already going to be elevated from that. There's no point in doing more high intensity cardio on top of that. Low intensity is going to be more restorative and recovery based, um, and not going to send cortisol levels through the roof. Um, primarily utilizing fast fuel too, which is always good. Um, At the end of the day, it's really just about calories burned. But still, if we can do it in a low stress manner, it's probably the best bet. And then moderate intensity is good because it works a different realm, right? Like when we're walking around doing stuff that's low intensity, when we're lifting, that's high intensity. Moderate intensity is like running for 30 minutes at a sustainable pace. So when you reach the 30 minutes, you're like, I could probably go another 5, 10 minutes, but I'm stopping here. You know what I mean? But you're not like gas, but you're sweaty or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's probably what I recommend because that's still easy to recover from, but it works a good aerobic energy system. And I think you're, you'd be missing out on that. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's as yeah good as the answer I can get is unless you coach with us where I can like fucking completely lay out your schedule.
1: Yeah. At least <clears throat> have a call with you. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, we'll go on to the next one. It is from Bridget. It says Is there a recommended body fat percentage to get before bulking? I'm a female, 5'5", 132 pounds currently. I'm not sure if I should continue losing weight, eat at maintenance, or be in a surplus. Based on my waist measurement of 28.5 and online resources, I am at 24.5 body fat. However, I am having a DEXA scan shortly for accurate measure.
0: Um I think all body fat testing is basically bullshit. <laughs> they're, just, they're just so inaccurate. Even the DEXA scan is not that accurate. Um, there's a lot of settings in the DEXA scan, so the problem is, is if you go do it and the settings aren't perfectly correct, then it can skew for it for you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, on top of that, if the settings are just barely switched, Chris, again, Bearcat, actually did a post on this because he has one in his lab, and he showed how you can just Make one tweak to the settings and it completely changes what readings you get. Um, So, I don't like them that much. Honestly, I think calipers are your best bet. Calipers are the ones you pinch um, and measure sites. Those are also inaccurate from a percentage perspective. So, it could tell you 24, but you could be anywhere between 18 to 28. But it's accurate from a trend perspective. So if it said 24 and then next time it says 23, that's accurate saying you've dropped 1% of body fat. If you're actually at 23 or not, that's who knows, you know, but don't get attached to the number, get attached to the trend. Cause the trend is really what we're after. Now, how lean should you be before you start a, a lean bulk is basically what she's asking. Um, you know, I think like if we had to throw out a percentage, I do think 20% is probably a reasonable number that you want to get to. Cause that's fairly lean for a female. Um, usually that's when you start seeing like definition in muscles and abs and stuff like that. Um, getting below 20% is where you start to get into like pretty like cautious territory, I would say where you got to really pay attention to hormonal health and things like that. But my recommendation is not starting a lean bulk until you get lean enough to see definition. Um, you're at a comfortable weight that you like and your adherence and your, I would i would even say not even adherence. I mean, yes, adherence, but your mindset and relationship to food is in a good place. So the reason I say those things is because number one, instead of going to a DEXA and worrying about things being accurate or, or anything like that or getting attached to a number, look in the mirror. Can you see definition? Yes, perfect. Do your clothes fit great? Yes, perfect. Do you enjoy where you're at? Like, did you reach your goal? If your goal was to lose 20 pounds, did you lose that 20 pounds? If your goal was to just see the outline of your app. Do do you see those now? Yes. Perfect. That's where you need to be to start gaining. Cause we can all identify, like you can look at yourself in the mirror and be like, could I get leaner? And the answer is always either. Yeah, definitely could get leaner or I could, but I'd be shredded. Mm -hmm. Right. So we all get to a point where, you know, like you get to a point where you're so lean that you're like, if I get leaner, I'm getting in that like unhealthy area or it's, I could definitely lose another five pounds. And if you could definitely lose a little bit, you could keep going. You know, but the problem is if you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, you don't build muscle. You're not going to like the look when you get to the end. So I think like stopping to where you when you're at a comfortable place and you're happy with your body and you have a good relationship with food because once you go into a bulk, you have to understand that you're going to gain a little bit of weight. So you need to have a good healthy relationship with your body image with your goals, with your mindset, with your food and understand this is a long-term game. You know, you can't be so focused on the now because I mean it's a long-term game. Yeah. I mean, you're doing this now, but it's going to be satisfied. Yeah, you won't be because once you get there, then what? Yep. You know, you have to constantly think about the next step. Totally fine. I want to take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast and shout out our sponsor, Legion Athletics, the world's number one best-selling brand of all natural sports supplements. Guys, if you're listening to this, you probably take supplements. I'm assuming you take a whey protein. You probably have some pre-workout. If you're really focused on health, you might take a, a multivitamin, a green string. Fish oil, whatever it is, Legion probably has it. And they are going to be using science back ingredients. Everything is actually dosed effectively and clinically proven. Everything is naturally sweetened and flavored. Everything is lab tested, made in the US, and you're going to get a money back guarantee. So the reason I'm bringing this up is not only because they're a podcast sponsor, but I truly value the team at Legion and I truly value what they are doing in the supplement space. And one of the things that is really frustrating for a lot of people that come to us is trying to find a brand where they can actually get quality supplements and they can trust the result that's gonna come from them. Most people just search Amazon for the best result they can find and they trust Amazon reviewers. And don't get me wrong, if something has a lot of stars and good reviews, that's awesome. But you can also pay people to leave reviews. So go with a company that you can trust that is backed up not only by science and actual researchers in the lab doing things, but coaches like myself who have tons of experience and use the stuff on a regular basis. So guys, stop wasting money. Stop searching and searching and searching for the best product out there and just jump on Legion Athletics. They are the best and I promise you that. You can head over to buylegion.com slash boom, boom, and save 20% on your first order and start earning points so you can get kickbacks on future orders and eventually free products. So one more time, that's buylegion.com slash boom, boom. Without any further ado, let's get back into the podcast. Next one
1: comes from Sarah Crowhurst. She has two questions. First one is, during the lean bulk, is it okay or is it counterproductive to drop carbs by fifty grams, thus calories by two hundred, on non-training days?
0: So basically, is is carb cycling a good idea? What did you, what was the first during body? a lean bulk? During is it okay
1: bulk. to drop carbs by fifty grams?
0: Oh, same person, same person. Nope. Oh, different person. Okay, Sarah. just applies. Okay, um, is it acceptable? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the thing to remember here is like. At the end of the day, with body composition changes, it's going to be more regulated on a weekly caloric intake average versus a day-to-day. So um, this is more applicable in in the situation of fat loss than it is bulking, which I'll explain in a minute. But what we see is that if we have like a high day, low day, high day, low day, high day, low day, um, and it equals on average 2,000 calories per day, right? That's your average, right? So it's 14,000 calories per week, right? And then we have another day where we just hit 2,000 calories every day and we, don't, we have moderate days, not high-low, and we still eat 14,000 calories per week. Results will be the same mm. from a fat loss perspective. Your body composition won't change much differently. Uh, especially because if we look at, like when we're looking at uh, fat loss, we're not trying to build muscle, we're trying to maintain muscle, which means that as long as we have some carbs in the diet, glycogen replenishment and depletion takes time. It's not like you're going to be just like out like that. That's why the nutrient timing window isn't as serious as it used to be. And you should be having protein feedings throughout the day, every day, no matter what type of cycle, carb, anything you use, uh, which means that you're going to maintain muscle. So if we're just talking about fat loss, it's totally different. Now, bulking, in theory, I would say most research shows the same exact thing, but I guess you could make the argument that if you have more carbs on the high days, um, it's just going to be applied to performance, right? Like if you're timing those before and after workouts, if you're doing inch workouts, anything like that, and you're putting the carbs around the the training window, maybe you're filling up glycogen a little bit better. Maybe you have more blood glucose. Maybe your performance gets up a little bit because research shows carbs around training does increase performance. Um maybe you squeeze out more volume. I don't think you'd be able to tell until six months time. You know, like maybe three months time. Yeah. But after a lot of consistency doing that then you might be able to finally look and be like okay it made a difference. The hard part with that is is like you'll never really know because you have to you kind of have to be just uh, intuitive with your body and just go what do I feel better with a little more carbs in these days and do I feel less bloated when I have a little bit less in these days? If the answer is yes and you feel good doing it, keep doing it. You know, make sure your weekly caloric intake is in check cuz that's the most important thing, but do what you feel best doing and you can adhere to because even if one of those was better than the other, you'll never know because you would have to do one of them for six months straight to see if how well it worked document it then you would have to go into a maintenance or a diet or some kind of phase to kind of like bring yourself back to a baseline and then you would have to go through another three to six month period to test the other scenario
1: you gotta be real serious
0: you gotta be real serious and the problem is is by that time you're a more advanced athlete you've built more muscle and you're going to build less muscle no matter what you do because as you get experienced you build less over time so you're never going to know and there's not much research to show us what it is except the research showing that it doesn't fucking matter but most research done on carb cycling is going to be based on endurance performance um or uh fat loss. It's, I don't know of any research that's done on actually gaining muscle. Um and in general, too, if we think about being in a surplus at the end of the week, if you're in a surplus, you have a surplus of calories, which means you have a you have more calories in you at all times. So cycling up and down is kind of pointless because if I consume carbohydrates in a surplus, I'm not burning through all my calories. Totally. That's the point of being in a surplus, which means I always have some some carbs left over to burn in the next workout, which means if I have high days and low days, it really does nothing. You know what I mean? So um, I think carb cycling works in two situations really, and that is for better adherence. So if somebody does adhere better having high and low days versus just a bunch of moderately low days for a diet, makes sense because they're going to adhere to it. If they adhere adhere to it, they're going to get better results. The other scenario would be performance-specific athletes. So if an athlete has a specific reason due to their practices or their competition or their training to have Days with more carbs versus other days that makes sense and it's more or less on an intuitive approach and I've worked with athletes like this where we don't have set high and low days we have our baseline days and then when we have days that are energy expenditures way higher because they have two days or multiple sessions competition we just add carbs so it's not like we have high and low days it's like we have high and really fucking high days yeah. and it's kind of like let's base it off of what you're doing throughout the week mm. um, but in, in most situations it doesn't matter I, I've always seen the best results with clients and myself when calories are the same throughout the week. Um, the only time I ever, like, I've even seen it, like...
1: You just have to be on point if they're going to fluctuate. Yeah, yeah,
0: you do. And you, and you can't repeat meals. Like, I'm the type, and most people are, that like to repeat meals because I believe in flexible dieting. I Quite. teach people how to flexible diet. But if I can eat the same thing Monday through Friday, it makes it easier. If I have carbs going up and down, I can't eat the same thing every day. You know what I mean? Because... You have high days and low days. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, now, I typically... It fluctuate if you... Yeah, yeah. And, see, yeah. And what works for me is that, and then Saturday is a high day, Sunday's a low day, because Sunday, I don't do shit. I don't train. I, like, if I go on a walk, that's it. I'm just hanging around. And then Saturday is usually date night. So, that gives me more flexibility, and then I just kind of fast and eat less on Sunday, and that kind of balances itself out. But the rest of the week, I just straight.
1: Yeah. Only reason I said that is because what I mean by, like, eat the, you could eat the same meals, but... Just add more rice, add more carbs, exactly, add yeah. more.
0: And people usually do that. Yeah. But,
1: but you can't eat the same amount of the same meal.
0: Yeah. And I've done that before back in the day when I was prepping for shit. And this is, what ends up happening is you have a bunch of tub in your fridge and it's like Monday meal one, Monday meal two, Monday meal three. And then you have labels on it Tuesday meal one because Tuesday is lower carb and you have less, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. But then at the same time too, people got to remember if Monday's a high carb day because it's your leg day. I promise you, you were going to be more hungry on Tuesday from that leg day than you were on Monday. So then you wake up Monday for breakfast and realize you don't get toast with your eggs in the morning. And you're like, fuck, I'm starving from last night's leg day. That's where it's like, "Eh." and if we look at that too, most people train in the afternoon because of work and stuff, glycogen replenishment takes 36 hours and depletion. So for 36 hours after that training session, you're going to be burning through carbs still and you're going to be hungry. So I don't know. I'm a fan of just keeping them straight throughout the week. It just makes more sense. Yeah.
1: You're not saying it doesn't work, though.
0: Yeah. All
1: right, cool. Good, good. All right, let's uh, move on. I love saying good, good today. Oh, Sarah has two questions. Would you say 175 pounds of protein for me at 127, 129 pounds is too much?
0: 129 pounds, you say? I'm going to do some math for you. No, I don't. Um, 1.5 grams per pound for you is 190 something, 195 grams of protein, which is the highest I'd probably take you. Um, But again, we got to remember there's research showing two times body weight. So if you're, let's round up 130, just make it easier. Um, Actually, 125 is easier for math because I'm horrible at math. Uh, That's 250 grams of protein for you. So you could technically eat 250 grams of protein and nothing bad would happen no kidney issues, no cancer, no health problems, no gut issues, nothing. The only things that you may experience during that time, which are not bad from a health perspective, they're just kind of annoying, is uh, you get really hot. So your thermogenic response kicks up, your metabolism kicks up. So um, people complain about sweating in their sleep. And uh, the other thing would be sometimes urination increases. So you pee more because you're pissing out nitrate and your kidneys are trying to filter it. So your readers speed up. So you might urinate more especially if you're drinking a lot of water but I mean in the grand scheme of things like if you're on a deep diet and you're really hungry and you want to increase your protein to a crazy amount and it just causes you to sweat and piss more I think it's worth it from if you have a serious goal you know what I mean you don't want to live your life sweating constantly and peeing every 20 minutes but point being is nothing bad is going to happen and that's with two grams per pound which is a lot of protein and you're not even close to that. So I, I think there's nothing wrong with you consuming 175 grams protein. And there's no health precautions outside of uh, if you've had a kidney transplant or if you had kidney disease that would make that an issue. Yeah. There's literally nothing. The only things that ever cause potential problems with high protein diets are, are current dysfunctions or diseases with the kidney, and or if you have one kidney removed, which some people do, um, from having kidney disease, or like I have a client who donated her kidney to her mom. Um, she can't have as much protein, you know, but at the same time, there's actually no actual evidence that says you can't. It's hypothetical. Um,
1: Even if you had kidney issues.
0: Yeah, there's none, but it makes sense pre- too. be... Precaution. Yeah, because there's assuming because you have less functioning kidneys, yeah. you can't process as much. The, the thing I would say is like, well, shit, if, if you can consume technically, I think they went all the way up to like two to three grams per pound. There's like ungodly amount of protein with no kidney issues, with, with a normal functioning kidney person. Why would you not be able to ha- have your body weight in protein with one kidney? Theoretically speaking, you would should be totally fine. And there's no research to suggest that you can't. There's just research showing that the kidney processes protein, and if we overload it, we might have issues. So theoretically, it makes sense, but there's no actual data to support it. And I don't think there ever will be or should be because that would mean you'd have to take somebody with kidney disease or one kidney and, and throw them in there and test it out. Yeah. Let's not do that because yeah. if it did... Something issue happened, you just fucked that person's life up for no reason. For being a test dummy. Exactly. We don't do that. So, um, yeah, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. But but point being is you're totally fine doing it. Totally. Listener. Sarah.
1: All right. uh, Cool. Next one is another two-part question from Darshini Krishna. First question is, it says this might be a stupid question perhaps but there's no stupid questions yeah i wanted to understand if volume and intensity take load into account if volume equals reps times sets times load and intensity is rpe or ir which factors which factors load into somewhat how do i look at volume and intensity separately
0: through Oh, it is, seems related. There's multiple definitions here, and that's why people get confused. Um, so first, a correction there. Intensity doesn't equal RPE or RIR. Effort equals RPE or RIR. People sometimes mistakenly say intensity, and I can understand why, because if you're doing something intensely, you're doing it very vigorously or hard, that's your effort being high. Um, however, in the scientific literature, effort is... You know, rate of perceived effort, RPE. Like that's literally your effort, your proximity to failure. So, how hard are you going? Intensity is literally defined as load, how much load is on the bar. And volume is de- defined by sets and reps. So, how much work are you doing? Now, in classic strength world, powerlifting, weightlift, stuff like that, volume from a, a, a pure, like the most purest definition is uh, sets times reps times. Intensity load, that's like the true definition of volume for powerlifting, and it makes sense because if you're looking at a powerlifting program, you're more focused on your tonnage because you're scored on how much total weight did you lift between the bench, squat, deadlift. Mm. Did you have a thousand pound total, fifteen hundred pound total? You know what I mean? Like it's all those lifts put together for a total tonnage. That's what your score is. Which is why somebody could win a powerlifting meet because they have an amazing squat and an okay bench and de- deadlift. Right? Usually that's the case. If you have one good lift, we're like, hey, we're going to maximize that lift because that's going to carry your your points all the way up. Um, But when you're programming, you should look at volume as sets and intensity as load. Mm. Reps are just the range at which you're performing the exercise and that changes, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you can have high volume or low volume and still build as much muscle as long as like total volume is the same. I mean, I'm sorry, high intensity or low intensity as long as total volume is the same. So with reps, I kind of look at it like per exercise, more than anything, because I can get the same hypertrophy out of a, a four sets of eight that I could out of four sets of 15, hypothetically speaking. But I would say a leg extension, I'm going to get more benefit out of four sets of 15 and an RDL, I would get more benefit out of four sets of eight because of the type of exercises it is, the way it's loaded, the, the, the potential risks of injury on those exercises, one being higher than the other, so on and so forth. Um, I dictate rep ranges more so based on the actual exercise we're executing. Yeah. Um, but when you're programming, volume is how many sets per muscle group per week are you, you putting into the program, and intensity is how much weight is the person l- lifting, which a lot of times you don't necessarily alter as a coach until you get to know them really well, and even then sometimes you don't, but if you're, if you're customizing a training program, after a while you can start to plug in loads for them so that you know they're lifting the right amount of weight. Um, I don't do this too often because I like to go off of RPE, because if I tell you to lift 200 pounds, had an rpe8 but you had a shitty night of sleep and 200 pounds leads to an rpe10 and you get hurt when normally you could lift that and have a couple in the tank we just screwed ourselves over right i would rather say here's the exercise rpe8 you know you see last week you did 200 so that's your goal but if you're not feeling it stop short focus on the rpe the, the effort um And there are times where I also put in the load only because I know people aren't lifting as much as they should. Where, like, I have, uh, like, I'll have, usually happens with women. Uh, They'll, like, uh, and this is typical. Sometimes I have to tell guys, hey, lift less and focus on forearm and girls. I'm like, you can lift more. Uh, But they'll do, like, a a one-arm row, and it'll be, like, 15-pound dumbbell. And uh, I know for a fact they can lift way more. So I'll purposely write one-arm dumbbell row with 30-pound dumbbell for max reps. And that way, I'm just like, do as many as you can with this 30 pound dumbbell. Usually, they surprise themselves and do a bunch of reps, and yeah. like say, you could probably do more. So yeah. next next week, we're going with 35 as many as you can, and we just progress from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general, that's kind of the breakdown. Volume is going to be sets per week, and then intensity is load, and effort is RPE. Gotcha.
1: Would you rather go higher weight and
0: less reps? So if you say it depends on the goal. It's I mean, goal specific. So that's true. If somebody wants strength, yeah, because strength is more neurological. Um, if somebody wants hypertrophy, no, I would go lower reps. weight, higher reps. Um, and science shows that you can go higher load, lower reps and get just as much muscle growth. Yeah. It's just not as practical because you're in, the, you got to do more sets and then you're just in the gym for fucking yeah. ever and, and exhausted, exhausted. Injury risk goes up. Yeah. Neurological fatigue goes up. Um, so if somebody wants strength, I'm going to go lower reps. I'm, yeah. Lower reps, higher intensity. So lower volume, higher intensity. If somebody wants hypertrophy, higher volume, lower intensity. Gotcha. From a load perspective. All
1: right. Question two says, how do you decide which movements are tagged to which RPR, is this, this Is this something that progresses over weeks? And how would you suggest building a complete novice uh, aerobic base if they don't have access to a full gym?
0: Okay, two completely separate questions, mm. realistically, because those are two unrelated, uh, which is fine. Uh, for the RPE, There's two ways to go about it. You can progress RPE throughout the weeks and then take a deload, which would be like you do start with RPE 7, then RPE 8, then RPE 9, then RPE 10 going to failure, and then you do like an RPE 6 and deload, and you repeat. I don't like doing that because I think that you're wasting time with the like low RPEs, and you're going to be more progressive if you just stay in the 8 to 10 range. So, I am uh, like, I'd rather have everything in the eight to nine rep range, which means we're always keeping one to two reps in the tank. It keeps us safe. It keeps us uh, at a close enough proximity to failure to where we know we're maximizing potential and results. Uh, but we're not burning out and we can keep adding load of regress and we may not even have to deload because we're not going so far that we have to pull back and supercompensate um so on the tailored trainer i prefer to stay in that eight to nine range and i rarely deload them um and for the individuals in there they deload when they need it because that's what they perceive as like they need a break now for um the exercises i'm choosing you know i will go rpe 10 which is basically failure on low injury risk and low neurological fatigue exercises and i think that's totally fine a dumbbell lateral raise. I'm almost always going to an RP10 because why would you not go to failure? Because it's a dumbbell fucking lateral raise. Mm. Like I'm using 15 pound dumbbells and no matter how hard I go and how much my delts burn, the next day I'm not really sore and I'm not like fatigued and drained from doing it. Now, a deadlift or a squat or a bench press or a heavy lat pull down, those are big movements. I'm gonna leave a rep or two in the tank because if I did go to absolute failure, the rest of my session would probably be fucked up because it's usually at the beginning of my session, whereas a lateral raise at the end. And the next day, I'm gonna feel it. I'm gonna be sore and it's gonna affect my next training session. So I think the, the RPE is kind of just scaled on, on this, the, the neurological demand of the movement and the injury risk, right? So the bigger and more uh, neurologically demanding the movement is, the, the more likely you should be RPE eight or nine, which is close enough to failure to really see results, but far enough away to where you can recover really well from it and not get injured. And then things like lateral raises, inverted rows, curls, where, you know, there's no way you're going to hurt yourself. Go to failure. Yeah. Cause why not squeeze out more volume that way? And then the aerobic thing run, I'm not going to break down aerobic program here. Cause I would take a, like, I mean, that's a whole podcast. Yeah. And I think would. we did a podcast on that a while back, but we'll have to look. Um, I know there's some stuff on the website. So if you go to the blog, tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash blog and just search aerobic, something will pop up. We've done different things, but in general, like you can make, like, if you think about energy systems, a lot of it is duration intervals, rest periods, heart rate variability. So if I program an assault bike for intervals of 10 seconds on with 90-second rest sprints and we're doing 20 rounds, keeping your heart rate at a certain point, or you're doing uh, a salt bike and then the rower and then the sled and you're repeating three rounds, you're doing five minutes each and you're alternating between them, keeping your heart rate at a certain beats per minute. I mean, you could do any of those with running. Yeah. It's the same intervals, same beats per minute, all that stuff. If you don't have equipment, just go out and run. And yeah. you just do the same duration, intervals, all that kind of stuff. And that's the cool thing about aerobic training is you can really tweak it for any type of Equipment or none and you still get the same benefit. So.
1: Cool. All right. Uh, let's keep going here. We got lots of questions. Um, we got one from Jessica Carr. For, uh, for pull-up progression, is the pull-up machine using the weight way- the way to set off the resist- resistance or using progression of bands more effective? Or does it even matter?
0: I would – oh, this one, this one will be a, a quick answer, and and I don't have an exact answer. So it's kind of two things. Number one, splitting hairs. Doesn't really matter that much. If you, the, the main thing you should be doing, going back to the RPE thing, is just focusing on your RPE. So whether you do that one or this one, as long as your RPE is at the same amount, that's all that matters. Because, again, your RPE determines your results. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily did you get eight reps with a red band or ten reps with this resistance on the machine. 80% of... If you're going 80% of what you can maximally do, eight RPE or a two RIR, you're good. You know what I mean? Or if, if it's the program is says nine RPE and one RIR, that's where you land. But stick with that um, and that would be the best. And then the other thing is it depends on the band and the machine. Because if I use, like we have like six different red bands. If I use one red band this week and I use a different one next week, fuck, <laughs> they're different. You know what I mean? It's So again, if I'm based on the band, they're going to be different because they split and they tear yeah, their yeah, different yeah. elasticity. Uh, so- there's different resistance. So if one is tighter than the other, it's gonna help you up a little bit more, which makes it easier. So if I just focus on doing eight reps with a red band, but I go to a new gym and the red band is a little bit older, now all of a sudden it feels harder. It's not the same. So always just focus on RPE. It's same thing with the machines. Every machine is different. Yeah. Like this lap pull down is different than the lap pull down at Planet Fitness down the street. So if I do 150 pounds here, and then I go there and try to do it. It's not going to be exactly under 50 pounds because every lap pull-down machine is a little bit different. The levers, the cable, the uh, lubrication in the, the pulley system, everything. So focus on RPE, rate of perceived exertion, and that's it. And you'll be fine. Totally. we are knock out one more.
1: Yep. Uh, we got another one from Jessica. It says, when using dumbbells for something that could be loaded with two hands – like a Bulgarian split squat, for example, does it lose effectiveness or benefit in any way to just load one
0: side with a heavier dumbbell? I wouldn't say it's like, uh, making it better or worse. So it's not benefit versus, uh, a disadvantage, but it does change the exercise. So there is a bilateral Bulgarian split squat. so like a bilateral loaded Bulgarian split squat. There's a offset lateral Bulgarian split squat. And then there's an ipsilateral Mm -hmm. Bulgarian split squat. So an offset would be if I have my right leg up on the bench behind me, my left leg down, my dumbbells on my right arm. So opposite of my front leg. Okay. Um, So it's opposite of the the dominant side. If I'm doing an ipsilateral, the dumbbell is on the same side as the leg that's out. So I would have it in my left hand if my left leg was forward and right leg was back. The difference mainly is is on this is like if if I go dumbbells on both legs, or in both arms, the, the weight and the load is distributed more evenly, obviously. And you're going to hit more of everything versus an isolated part. If you have it in an ipsilateral position, so you have it just on the side that is dominant. Now you're doing more of a hip dominant Bulgarian split squat. So you're loading your lateral hip and glute more so than your quad. If you do it on the opposite side, you're loading more of your quad and your adductors on the inside than you would your glutes and your hips. So it kind of depends on what you want to work on and it definitely would change it. So if the program says bilaterally loaded Bulgarian split squad, I definitely wouldn't do just one because there's a reason why it's choosing a balanced approach. If it's an ipsilateral, there's a reason for that too. So when I put an ipsilateral one in there, and and I know Jessica does our programming app. When I put an ipsilateral, it's because I'm purposely trying to work on the lateral hip. If I put it on the offset, I'm purposely trying to not work on the lateral hip versus something else, which is only gonna be because of how many deadlifts we did that week, squats, what kind of other unilateral exercises we did, the different loading positions we've been in. Um, and this is why we can't look at an isolated exercise in isolation, right? So somebody might look at this and be like, well, I wanna focus more on this. And I'm like, yeah, but look at all this other stuff you did throughout the week and in the sessions that is gonna interfere with that. So we can't change the program if we don't change the whole program. Right? Right. We can't change that one exercise, right? And that's why like, I when people are like, uh, the gym's busy, can I just kind of do whatever order? And I'm like, fuck no, because there's a sequence of the exercises, right? There's certain times where you have no choice, and I, I'd rather you just get it done, but be safe. Um, but in, in perfect world scenario, as often as you can, you got to do exercise in the right order, how they're written, because there is a method to the madness. There's totally. a reason everything is written the way it is. Yep. So Hell yeah. Well, that's the last question for today. Um,
1: do you have anything? This is uh, go- going to air on Christmas Eve. So, oh, everybody, shit. drive safe, travel safe. Merry Christmas. Have a great, happy holidays.
0: Yeah. I am uh, currently eating crab dipped in butter and drinking a lot of wine as you're listening <laughs> to this. Because that's what we do every Christmas Eve. So, uh, yeah. Dope. What do you do on Christmas Eve? Uh, I wish I'd
1: eat crab and butter. God, that sounds good. Dude, I
0: don't even like crab. This is funny. Oh like, my Shannon God. was so excited yeah. getting into the family for this. She loves it. And I'm like, Eh. I just eat hella. My grandma makes like homemade biscuits. And I just eat the biscuits and drink wine. Oh my God. I'm that sounds a, good too. Yeah, it is amazing. But I don't know. Crab crab is so rich. I like have a couple bites. Mm. I don't know what it is. I have a couple bites and I'm just, maybe rich. it's like the fishiness. Yeah. I don't know. I just can't I don't know what do you it. Mean, but ri- like, I love, once I say rich, I'm thinking like chocolate. Butter. Dude, I had a whole fucking salmon tail last night for dinner. I Whoa. love fish. Whoa. I ate a lot of salmon. Yeah. Love fish. But the crab, man, don't like shrimp. Nothing. Yeah. Just, uh, I don't know. But but the the ambiance and like the 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 thing you got to wear your like crab bib she makes you wear yeah them. Yeah, like, yeah 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 crack all of it there. yeah yep. it's dope
1: I went to your grandma's house once for Christmas yeah I think yeah. you did yeah, yeah. We did the crab leg crack dude that's why I remember it yeah yeah all right cool well everybody have a great holidays and uh, we'll see you next week
0: later.